I love that. Go tell it on a mountain. Um, but could have used a little more cowbell. <laughs> Would you believe I waited until... You know how long I waited to say that, right? Lord, forgive me. Fellas, you got a hit. All right. This morning I want to talk to you about the birth of Christ. And uh, this, is, this is our final um, Advent, I guess. This is actually Christmas, the, really the Christmas sermon, right? Because it's, yesterday was Christmas, and I went ahead and blew the candles out because I was a little nervous. One was a little short, and I didn't know if that would be a good thing. I didn't want to be distracted. But uh, I want to talk to you about the birth of Jesus Christ this morning because I, when I was a younger kid, obviously I was someone who didn't grow up in church. I tell you this all the time, but I think it just means so much because coming to Christ has just been a life changer for me, obviously. And I've just, there, there are so many things that I misunderstood about Jesus when I was growing up, and I just didn't know any better. And I know that during Christmas, it was one of those holidays that I used to dread. I don't know, but there was, I used to go and sit with um, some family, and I was like 21, and I was still eating at the little kids' table. Anybody ever have that happen to you? Um, and I was still, so anyway, but that was always such a stressor to go and have a Christmas dinner with everybody, and um, everybody's trying to, you know, get along, all of these types of things, and and then you, you know, you, you tried not to measure your holiday with what you got or you didn't get. Those were the types of things. And that was really the extent of my understanding of why we celebrate Christmas, honestly. And I, I wish that there would have been a way for me to know better because it, while I'm in a situation that is not of my own choosing, um, things not going well for me, and all I was ever told was, just pray, ask God for help, he'll help you. And, and then those times would happen, he didn't seem to do any of that, right? Um, that was one of those things that, for me, I think I missed the whole point of the birth of Christ. Because I was looking at it, what God was supposed to do for me as the individual instead of what God's doing for everybody. And I think this is something that most people might struggle with because with the birth of Christ, we are so used to talking about the birth of Christ when, in fact, you might say, well, we have to talk about the birth of Christ because certainly we have to talk about the incarnation of Jesus Christ so that we can remind ourselves that God took on human flesh. And so we have to remember that because we want to also be able to celebrate Easter rightly so that we can remember that there is actually a body, the body of Christ was actually physical and it was on the cross for our sake, right? We try to remember that. And then we also try to remember that while Jesus was here the first time, his first advent into the world, we try to remember how he lived with everyone. I was even thinking about how he lived among his disciples and what he taught them and how he demonstrated his love for them. Um, in a particular way, it would be for the, I guess from their perspective, they were supposed to be nobodies. They were supposed to be people that were outside of, I guess, the hierarchy of religion. And God, and the God the Son took them in. So when we think of the birth of Christ, we're reminded that he actually walked among us. And that because he walked among us, we were actually able to 
experience and see the love that God has for us. And you know, I think of this because a lot of times, most of, I would say most people would think God is doing nothing for them. That God has, you know, what have you done for me lately? It's that kind of a thing. Um, people are wondering why God doesn't fix the world or why God doesn't fix certain situations in their lives. And then when he doesn't do this, then people might think, well, maybe God can't do it. And then I always think about our founding fathers. I don't know, I've said this before, but they were deists. And if you know what deists are, they were people who said God created the world and he just wound it up like a clock and he went away somewhere and left us to ourselves. Well, the, new, the, the birth of Christ certainly dispels that myth, doesn't it? Because God is with us. And I noticed in the songs that we sang, Joy to the World, did you notice the Lord is come, not has come, past tense, is come, present tense. Did you pick up on that? Because God is with us. And so when we look at the birth of Christ, we've been looking at the book of Luke. And in the book of Luke, what we've been picking up on is that he's telling a story to Theophilus. And what he's telling Theophilus is, here's some background information about Jesus Christ so that you might be able to believe that he is the savior of the world. And so he starts talking about these two miraculous births. And one of these births, obviously, was John the Baptist. And John was someone that was foretold to come along in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for the Lord, the first advent of the king. And you heard that in the Old Testament reading this morning because you, you heard the, I guess, prophecy of what was being told that this king would come and his kingdom would have no end, which is where we, because of his first advent, we think of his kingdom already but not yet because his kingdom doesn't end. And then you heard how the angel told Zechariah, he told Zechariah, he said, your son, you're going to have a son in your old age. And one of the things that stood out to me was that the angel said this, he said, He's going to turn the hearts of the parents toward their children. Did y'all pick up on that? Kind of set up the context of the type of environment that John the Baptist was going to come into, a very materialistic environment where people were really just thinking of themselves. And in fact, it was so bad that they, parents evidently didn't have their hearts for the kids anymore. And he said, but he's also going to turn many of his brothers and sisters back to the Lord. He's going to help them to repent. He's going to bring them back. And then, we ha then he's born. Then we have the account of what was told to Mary, right? So the angel tells Mary, Mary, you're going to have a son. Even though you're a virgin, you're going to have a son, and this son is going to have a kingdom without end. He's going to bring peace. And this is the environment that's being set up because if we understand this context, when we look at this birth story, I'm reminded of a couple of things that God is always working on our behalf. Always. And hopefully you'll see that. I'm, in fact, I'm gonna go ahead and read it. This is Luke chapter two. I'm gonna read verses one to 14. And this is what it says. 
In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. It's really you all. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. We'll stop right there. So when I'm thinking about this, this is a story that I always read to my family on Christmas morning. We started doing this a long time ago. After I came to the Lord, I understood that Christmas is a lot more than what I took it for, and that Christmas is not necessarily about Santa as much as it is about Jesus, right? Christmas doesn't exist without Jesus. So I read this to my family, and we would do this before we would open up our gifts. I wanted my children to know that Jesus is the reason for the season. You hear that slogan, but it's so true, that Jesus is the reason. And I suspect that as I read this, I really didn't know what to do with these passages other than just simply do what I think Luke intends for us to see, is that the emphasis is upon the birth of Christ. And that's, what we, that's as far as I would go with it. Our Lord and Savior was born this, this time, this morning, this Christmas day that we celebrate. So the first thing I want you to see this morning is this. The birth of Jesus Christ teaches us God's divine purpose goes unrecognized by most. That's kind of a strange thing, but I think if you just follow along with me for a second, you will see this because one of the things that should stand out to us in this passage is that Luke is set in the context with Caesar Augustus during his time. And so Caesar Augustus was somebody who was in charge of, I don't know if you picked it up in the reading, but the Bible says the Roman world. And I think Luke intentionally puts the Roman world there to remind us that it was the world as the Romans might have seen, but not necessarily the world that God sees, which is the whole world, 
and God loves the whole world, we know this, and so he sets the context with Caesar Augustus sending the people back to their ancestral towns to be able to register for the census that is going to be taken. So I thought about this, and I thought, what if our government said I had to go back to my ancestral town? I'm assuming that that would mean Indiana, where I'm from. I don't know if that, I suspect that would be Indiana, not necessarily Maryland, where my mom's from. And so we would have to drop whatever we're doing. We would have to get in our car. We would have to load up and just go back to Indiana and somehow meet with the government officials and present ourselves so that we could be counted. Possibly this was just for a tax purpose or maybe they were thinking about um, seeing how many men there were to be able to get into the army, to build up their Roman army. I don't know. But what I know is that if I'm a Jew in this world that of this time and I'm told that I have to go back to where I'm from to take a census, it's probably going to be a very um, difficult thing for me to drop whatever I'm doing and find the cash to go at the drop of a hat. I can tell you that I would wonder why there's so much oppression. I would feel oppressed. Obviously, the Jews felt they were oppressed because they were occupied, but I would be very frustrated because I've said before, I don't think any of us like to be told what to do. We struggle with that. It's a human thing. We don't like for people to tell us what to do, but I would have to do it if I wanted things to go well for my family and I. So it'd be easy for me to focus on the amount of power that Caesar Augustus is wielding in this moment. And I might even, if I knew the scriptures, I might even tell my family the reason we're struggling with this journey to go back and be registered is because our people was sinful and has been sinful to Yahweh, our God. And I would see this as just another way of God seemingly letting his people down. If we're being honest, right? Because I know we're good Christians. We never think that God is failing us, right? We never think that. But all the while, because we're in the, a different pers- coming from a different perspective, we're able to see what Luke is saying. We know the story. All the while, it's easy for a preacher to come in and see a little deeper and say, wait a minute, they were missing what God is doing. His divine will is actually being accomplished through what Caesar Augustus is commanding. Because all of the prophets said that the Messiah is going to come from the line of David and he's also going to be from Bethlehem. So I'm assuming Theophilus now would be familiar with that type of thing because obviously during this time, the Jews are still being occupied. They're still looking for a way to be out from under the yoke of Rome. And the way they're encouraging each other is saying, remember, the Messiah is going to come and save us from all of this. But I just wonder if they missed 
that God is actually working through the great difficulty that he allowed Caesar Augustus to place upon the people. I mean, it would make sense because he's God, right? I mean, he's all-powerful. He I mean, if he speaks it, it is so. It would not be a stretch to understand that God is working through a corrupt individual in government. It's okay if I say that? I mean, it's for our own good, right? Because we know what this means. The birth of Jesus is, I'm gonna keep referring to it, it's for y'all, right? Those plural yous, that's what the Greek professor would say. That's the y'all, that's the southern way, right? That's what it is. So it's for y'all that he's working, but sometimes we miss it, don't we? Sometimes in the confusion, in the chaos in our lives, we can only look at the moment and wonder why we're struggling so much when in fact it may very well be that you're in that moment by God's own choosing because he's going to do something great within that moment. That's what the birth means. Let's look at the next thing I want you to see. <clears throat> the birth of Jesus Christ teaches us God has power to bring his word into reality, right? So I'm going to connect a couple Old Testament stories real quick because I know that there's a heavy push today in the world to discount the virgin birth. I get it. I, I mean, we're, we're, we're just so in love with science, aren't we? We love science, and we just put our trust in science all the time. But this is what is so unique about God. Sometimes the science just doesn't add up because of his miracles, right? So we know that it was prophesied that the virgin would be with child. We know this. We know this. So what's interesting is that the Jews who are under foreign occupation at this time, wondering if God's going to actually do what he said he was going to do and deliver them with a Messiah, would he send another Samson-like person? What's he going to do? Is he going to help us or not? When will he relent from this time that we're living in? Well, he's doing it. Because he says, the virgin will be with child, so if I'm a Jew in this time, I'm going to remember something in the book of Genesis. And if some of you who were here when we went through the life of Abraham a little bit, you might remember this too. But this is interesting. God has the power to bring his word into reality. And so what God does in Abraham's life is that he begins to walk with Abraham. Remember this? He's walking with Abraham while Abraham's in this world that's hostile towards each other and towards Yahweh, because they're worshiping other gods. But Abraham begins to walk with God, and we're always reminded that he's the model person to look at, at what faith should look like. But Abraham has a problem. He trusts the Lord, but not a whole bunch, not completely, right? So when he's out and about sojourning across the land, right? When he's out traveling, he comes across the king of Egypt one day because I believe it was a famine. 
I hope I'm right. And so he tells his wife, Sarah, he says, you know, Sarah, you're pretty fine looking. I'm pretty much aware of that. What I want you to do is I want you to tell them you're my sister. You remember this story? So they do this. The king of Egypt takes her into his home. We don't get the details. You can only assume a few things. The Bible has a little bit of um, edge to it, right? But you can only assume a few things. And so everything eventually gets back to the way it's supposed to. God delivers them from that situation. And then the next thing you know is that while they're out, Abraham and Sarah are getting older. And they have no children, right? So God says to Abraham, he says, look, in about a year or so, you're going to have a child. You remember this story, right? Because Sarah overhears this. I know we can't believe that she's listening in on the conversation, right? But she is. And she hears this and she giggles. You know what Isaac means, right? His name means laughter. And so what's happening then, God says you're going to name him Isaac, because Sarah laughed. And of course she starts to die. oh, I didn't laugh. Because she's looking at the situation she's in and she's saying, there's no way we're too old to be able to be bearing children. We can't do this. And so after that, this is where it gets interesting. Remember, good Jew is going to know this story and should know it by the, like the back of their hand, right? They're going to know this story. So what happens, they go out and about again, and they're saying, oh, thank you, Lord, yes, we, you know, we, we, we know we, got, we can expect you know, Isaac uh, to be born, whatever, we, we got it. And of course, you know, uh, this is when Ishmael comes along because Sarah takes matters in her own hands. But do you remember what Abraham did? Another king, they came across another king. And you know what he did? He said, Sarah, Like I said the last time, you look pretty good. Tell them you're my sister again so they don't kill me. Do you remember what God did this time? He came to that king in a dream and said, don't you touch that woman. Right? Because the child of promise, there can't be any doubt who that child's from. It's from Abraham, right? The king can't touch that woman because you don't want to, God is imposing his divine will in this situation. That's what he's doing. He is stopping, he is influencing this king. You're not going to touch her because if you touch her, people will always wonder, was this Abraham's son or not? Can you imagine? So it doesn't happen and God delivers them out of the hand of that king. You know, this, this story The Jews should remember this because when they see this virgin who's with child, they should remember, you know, this shouldn't surprise us. We remember the story of Abraham and Isaac. There's no way that God cannot do what he wants to. God can always accomplish his will. He can always bring his word into reality. So why shouldn't we believe that the virgin has a child? Because you have to believe this because if the 
child comes from another human being, I'm not sure we have a perfect sacrifice, do we? And we need that sacrifice, don't we? Because God is trying to save y'all. That's what God's trying to do. Christmas is a little bit more than just exchanging gifts, isn't it, and family time. Christmas is a moment we're marking that the Savior came into the world, and because of the Savior coming into the world, because he was the child of Mary, not Joseph, because she was a virgin who was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, we now understand that this is the one who could save us from our sin. And it makes sense. Isn't it amazing when you and I face a struggle, we sometimes think that God's word can't get us where we need to be. And yet, in this very instant, God was able to help this virgin to birth a child that would save us all because his word came into reality. Look at the last thing I want you to see. The birth of Jesus Christ teaches us God's work turns fear to joy. I actually borrowed this last one. It's okay. We don't have to reinvent the wheel, do we? I can't remember the guy's name, but I took it because it works. God's work turns fear to joy. It's interesting what the angels do because I'm telling you, I've told you in the past when I lived on the farm, um, our barns, some of them didn't have electricity in them. And so um, I probably lived on maybe a 10 acre um, spread where, you know, when I say 10 acres, there are several barns in our house. And so if I had to go out to the barn because my stepdad might have forgot his thermos, who knows what it is. And of course, you know, once he sits down, that's it. You're going to go and do it for him, right? So if I'm, if I'm 10 years old and he says, go out to the barn and, you know, get that thermos for me. It's on this bench. I'm thinking, are you crazy? It's dark out there, right? You're crazy, man. And I, I would look at mom. She'd just look away. I knew I wasn't going to get any help there. And so I'd have to go out there. I was really religious during that walk, by the way. It was amazing. Some of the best prayer times were then, oh, Lord, help me. Because, I mean, it's just, you're out in the middle of nowhere. So when I, I think of this passage, I'm thinking of these shepherds, right? They're out there in the middle of nowhere. They're watching over their flocks. And, I mean, there's no street lights out there. You all got that, right? Just, there isn't any light out there other than the moon. And all of a sudden, they see these angels show up. Let me tell you something. We miss the presence of God in church very often. Do you know that? I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, if, if we all actually revisited the idea that God's presence is in each one of us in here right, right now, and if we understood that properly, my guess is we might all be on our faces. You ever think of that? <laughs> we wouldn't be sitting here just stoically. Amen. Right? Amen, preacher. You tell them. No, we wouldn't be acting like that. We'd be on our face. I can imagine that's what happened to these 
shepherds out there. And you know what the angels said to them? They said, you know what? They said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. I'm not here to take your life. I know that the presence, our presence here right now is is very frightening to you. We can see it, but we are here because we don't want you to be afraid. We're bringing you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. You, You see where Luke's coming from? This goes beyond the Jews now, doesn't it? He's saying, turn your fear into joy because of what God has done for you this day. What that tells me is that we Christians, I don't know know if you all know this, but sometimes we get nervous over our government. Have you ever ever talked to any Christians where we're either combative or we're scared what God is going, or what the government's going to do? I don't know. I'm just saying, I'm thinking out loud, and and so we're, we're, we're afraid for our family. We're afraid for people. And and the whole time in this story, what we've just picked up on is that even though the Roman government thought they were in charge, God was using that situation. He allowed them to make that decree. And then we're also picking up that God's word is going to turn into reality. And then now we're hearing that because this has already happened, that the fear that is felt by the shepherds That fear should turn to joy. It's almost like Jesus. I know I'm not a female, so ladies, forgive me, but can you imagine? I I mean, I can only imagine childbirth, right? I I don't know, but I suspect that the pain was something terrible, but once the baby's here, there's this gladness, right? There's this joy that overtakes, and it's almost forgotten what we went through, I would assume. This fear turns to joy. So whatever the fear may be for us Christians, we know that God is trying to turn that fear into joy this day. This is a reminder to us. God is turning our fear to joy. Unless we don't allow him to. I can imagine That if you're someone this morning who is going through a difficult time in your life right now, this is the time of year that seems to bring a lot of turmoil around, doesn't it? Just does. I work with a bunch of students. I always tell you this. This is a difficult time of year for them. And you can imagine that maybe we might wonder if God even notices that we're going through any type of struggle. And if he does, doesn't he care, right? But what we saw in our passage is that he does care. He sent his son into this world. And not only did he send his son into this world, but he used the authorities of this world to set it up so that circumstantially, Mary and Joseph would be in the right place at the right time so that all that knew 
what God had promised actually came to pass. If he can do that, then you and I should be able to recognize when he's at work, when it seems most likely he might be hanging us out to dry. He's not. His purpose is always at work. And did you hear what the angel said? Upon those whom uh, find favor from God. His people, right? Peace to those who have favor from God, whom his favor rests. His people, those who trust him. He's always working on your behalf and my behalf too. You can imagine if you're someone that thinks that he's not doing anything and even though he's promised certain things to everyone, not just us as individuals, but even though he's promised, even in fact to the point of saying that you, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you will have eternal life with him, right? He's promised that. And sometimes, don't we just doubt just a little bit? But we can see, at least this Christmas, it can remind us that God's word actually came into reality because here he is, God incarnate, God with us, Emmanuel. He's made it happen for all of us. Hopefully this is helping us to trust him more, right? But if you're struggling and you're concerned that maybe what might happen may not happen in your life, I'm just going to tell you this morning, let God turn your fear into joy. God is going to take care of all of us who put our trust in him through Jesus Christ. I think of the struggles that the world goes through. It's because we're hopeless. We don't trust the Lord. And because we don't trust the Lord, we don't follow him. Well, I suspect if you trust him and just follow after him, your fear will turn to joy. So right now, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't know where you're at this morning, but I know this. If we Christians could start talking like that instead of what we feel like might happen because of what another human being might or might not do, we start talking about what God has already done, I can tell you we will start to feel better. And when I'm down, I want you to know that's the time when we share Jesus with someone. I get fired right back up because I know what he's done and the new birth has helped us. Whatever you need from the Lord this morning, ask him to help you. Ask him to give it to you. He wants to give it to you. If you need that joy, ask him for joy. If you need to put that fear to death, put it to death. If you need to just believe that he's able to accomplish his, what his word says, help him to trust you more. But know he's working for your good on your behalf in spite of what you may be experiencing. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning.
And we are mindful of your word, Lord, that just the birth of your son into this world reminds us that you're not off somewhere far away, but you are actively right now, Lord, trying to help and save your people. You are fighting on our behalf in ways that we can't even begin to understand. And I pray, Father, if there's anybody within the sound of my voice that is struggling with any of this this morning, I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to them and that he would help them to begin to understand this passage in a new way so that our faith can be built up in you. I pray, Father, that you keep us safe and bring us back again safely next Sunday, Lord. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen.